they had to face reality. And the reality was, and the news was spreading fast, that this man Jesus was doing miracles, and one of them was the resurrection of Lazarus, who had been four days dead in the tomb. And the ripple in the pond spread further and further. When you get to chapter 12, verse 9, you will see that much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus. So you can see now, as time went on a little, and this news spread, hey, I want to see this guy. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're back again to the message on Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I trust you'll stay tuned as we get to that. We have a hymn or two. I sing the mighty power of God and how great thou art. We also uh, continue our little thought on the questions on Romans chapter 1 on the righteousness of God for sinners. And it tells us in Romans 1.17 that it is revealed from faith to faith. And here's the question. What does from faith to faith mean? It means God bestows faith in the heart of the sinner in order for him to live a life of faith. The final statement, the just shall live by faith, declares that the man who is declared just in God's sight the man that is set free from his condemnation of sin and brought to be at peace with God is saved from death. And because of his God-given faith in Christ, he lives by the medium of faith and in the enjoyment of ongoing faith. Let me give you uh, a Weymouth's translation. This is just a little help to understand the uh, text of Scripture, Romans 1.17. And it's a help to grasp the significance of this text. For in the good news, a righteousness which comes from God is being revealed. Depending on faith and tending to produce faith, as the Scripture has it, the righteous man shall live by faith. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones explained, Now there have been many explanations of this from faith to faith. Some have said that it means from the faith of the Old Testament to the faith of the New Testament. Some have said it means from weak faith to strong faith. All these things are quite true. Some say it simply means an intensive statement emphasizing that it is by faith alone. They say that there are expressions like from death to death or from life unto life. So here he says from faith to faith which simply means faith and faith alone. But I prefer to think of it, as I say, in that other way, that what he is saying is that God's righteousness by faith is revealed to our faith. It is only the man who has faith who sees it and who accepts it, glorying and rejoicing in it. And of course, he goes to Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you say through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And there it is. It is only the man who has the gift of faith who sees the righteousness by faith of Jesus Christ. And he accepts it and rejoices in it and in it 
alone. May the Lord stir our hearts today to take this gospel message that the just are saved by faith, that God gives us this righteousness whereby we are saved by the imputed, perfected righteousness of Jesus put to our account, and thereby we are saved from all sin. And if you go to Romans chapter 1, look up verse 16, 17, you will get the whole uh, text itself. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. May the Lord draw an eye and minister to your heart as we come now to our message and song, How Great Thou Art. Then the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus. The end of the story is the resurrection for the Christian. And there is a day when Christ will come and he will raise his people from the dead. So we see the providence behind this miracle. Let's move on and we look at the power behind this miracle. Who dare argue against the Lord's personal power when you read a story such as this? Whoever can put a question mark on the ability of the Son of God to do the impossible when you read what he did for Lazarus. And our Lord, right here, he overcame that dreaded enemy of death there and then. Now, let's go to verse 41. And here you will see the power of the Savior's prayer. We have a number of areas where we will see the Lord's power in this event. But in verse 41, you see the power of the Savior's prayer. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was led, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. And so we see our Lord working in cooperation with the Father, and the Father's power is here Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him. 
And we see that the work of God is right here. So Jesus' prayer is answered. Then also there is the Savior's power in his call to Lazarus. Verse 43, when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now remember, he was speaking to a corpse. He was speaking to a man that had been dead and under the power of corruption four days. They were already afraid to remove the uh, stone from the tomb. It wasn't a grave underground as we would normally think it in our part of the world. It would have been a, 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 a cave dug out of a rock where the body was inserted into a rock and a stone put in front. In the heat of the Israeli sun, that body would corrupt very quickly. And usually funerals take place very quickly in such countries. And of course, it's due to the rapid decomposition of the body after life is gone. Four days. Think of the state of Lazarus' body in any typical uh, decomposition. And yet the mighty power of this miracle where Jesus spoke to Lazarus as if he was just had all his faculties and he said to him, come forth. It is absolutely staggering. I, I don't even want to go to the biology uh, of how did the blood begin flowing? How did the brain cells begin to work? Uh, begin to work? How did his eyesight return? How did his hearing return? And which of these things happened first? In what order did they take place? Or did they all just happen instantly? would appear to be necessary to be an instant, complete man, that he would hear the command, Lazarus, come forth. And so there was such mighty power. Now, when we believe in the God, and Christ is God, and he was there in creation, when we believe in the God who made the world out of nothing, the creator of the world, who in six days created every aspect of this universe, the solar system, the climate in this earth, the animals, and man, with intelligence, with all the faculties that he's given, the instant creation of God. Here is the Lord Jesus on the scene, and there is creative power at work as he brings Lazarus out of that death. Now, this demonstrates to us, and it is a tremendous demonstration of the power of the Lord to convert dead sinners. Lazarus is a tremendous testimony, a tremendous illustration of how the Lord Jesus can give spiritual life to a dead soul. And we rejoice when men hear the gospel, and it's like the Lord commanding them to come out of the tomb of sin that world of corruption and iniquity, to leave it all behind and come out a new man in obedience to the gospel call. And all the lusts and the pride of life, all the rebellion, all the depravity, all the ugliness of sin is left behind. And the soul walks a new walk by the mighty power of the Lord. Now, the Bible describes this in many ways. It's described as God drawing. It is described as a new birth, where man is born from above. It's described as a new creation, where we are 
created anew. All things pass away and all things become new. So in this miracle of Lazarus, we see the power behind the miracle. So there was the providence behind the miracle. Then there's the power behind the miracle. I want us to look now at the proofs of this miracle. Now, I think tonight that I'm preaching to a biblically-minded audience that most here tonight are saying, I rejoice in these things, and I don't even begin to question them. But just go outside that door and down the street and talk to people, and you will find that there's not so much ready faith in the power of the Lord. So I want us tonight to look at some of the proofs that leave us without any doubt whatsoever that this event really took place. Well, the first question we have to answer is, was Lazarus really dead? And you know, the, the, the same issue when, uh, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, was he really dead? Or did he swoon on the cross uh, and merely faint and fall into some state of unconsciousness and survive that period of time and then revive in the tomb? Uh, that's the, the question of the, the uh, atheistic mind. And the same may apply here. And there may be the question, well, was Lazarus really dead? Well, let's look at the testimony we have in this passage. If you look at verse 14, you'll notice Jesus said it. Jesus then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 21, Martha said it, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Verse 32, Mary said it, Lord, if thou hast not been here, my brother had not died. Verse 37, their friends said it. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? No one in the vicinity, no one in the area questioned that point. Was he really dead? Everyone understood that he had died. Then we look for proofs of his resurrection. And if you go down to verse 45, you will see that the friends of Mary believed in a resurrection. Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. And so they were convinced that this was not just some kind of a cop-out, but it was a real, genuine, powerful miracle that made the Lord Jesus in their eyes to be trusted in. Then the friends of the Pharisees, verse 46. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. So they were convinced. And then the Pharisees themselves, verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the scribes a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. They didn't back out and say, Well, let's question this. They had to face reality. And the reality was, and the news was spreading fast, that this man Jesus was doing miracles, and one of them was the resurrection of Lazarus, who had been four days dead in the tomb. And the ripple in the pond spread further and further. When you get to chapter 12, verse 9, you will see that much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus. So you can see now, as time went on a little, and this news spread, hey, I want to see this guy. 
You mean to tell me that he's up walking about, living and well, acting normally? I want to see him. And many people flocked. Much people were told here. They came to actually see Lazarus for themselves. Perhaps they had been to the funeral whenever he had been entombed, and they saw the stone put on the tomb. They heard the weeping. They had been involved in the funeral of Lazarus. Now that they heard he was alive, well, I want to see this. And off they went, and they were able to meet with Lazarus for themselves. And so all the proofs are there that this was indeed a genuine miracle. In fact, we'd have to say it takes more faith to disbelieve the resurrection of Lazarus than it does to believe in it. And it became a real problem for the enemies of the gospel. Now, tonight, let's take this to our hearts. This resurrection of Lazarus is just a little single microcosm event of the great resurrection day. Do you believe tonight that the grave is going to open? that that body that is decomposed back to the earth, that the atoms of that body will be raised to a new body. That's the Christian hope. That's the doctrine of the resurrection upon which Christianity is built. That's the message that the New Testament apostles went everywhere in the first century to preach, because Jesus was indeed alive. And if you fear death, if you are troubled by the enemy of death, and everyone is subject to it, and we wonder, how can we handle, how can we deal with this? Well, the Apostle Paul, in that pastoral epistle, First uh, Thessalonians, he deals with it. He says, we as Christians sorrow not as others sorrow with no hope. And he went on to talk about the return of the Lord, the resurrection, the dead will rise first, they will meet the Lord in the air. And then he closes the chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, Comfort ye one another with these words or these things. And so this message becomes a ministry of comfort. Yesterday morning when we were praying at our men's prayer breakfast, I was praying, Lord, which of the miracles should I be preaching on tomorrow evening? And... I was led to think about Lazarus as I prayed. And then about somewhere around 11, somewhere around a little after 11, I got the call about uh, Kurt and Luke's grandma, that she'd been taken into hospital and due to double pneumonia was not expected to live. And so I went down there. I called Beulah and said, I'm not going to come home. It's going to take me too long to go home and get out again, so I'm just going to go straight to the hospital. And as you know, I was just there a couple of minutes, and I watched her take her last breath. But this is a ministry of comfort. And, you know, it's, it's natural for us, you know, you've got a family that's bereaved in our midst. How am I going to be sensitive to their needs and their hurt and their pain? And I think a pastor needs to be. Do I run away and say, well, I, I can't preach on this subject because, you know, speaking about death and, 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 and all the sorrow of Mary and Martha, it just seems to open up old wounds. But the Bible teaches us that this doctrine, this event, which is a microcosm of the great resurrection, 
we are to comfort one another with these words. And in that little hospital, was still in the ER of the hospital yesterday, there was a little room, and I must say the staff there were very good. They gave the family and all who were there time to just group together and pray and, and just come to terms with the passing of Mrs. Schultz. Um, while we were there, we were able to talk about these things. This is, this is not the end. This is glory. And we could use the terms that Mrs. Schultz is home. She's with her Lord. And I can testify to that because I know that she leaned on 1 John 1, 9. And she was leaning on the blood of Christ as her salvation. And Mrs. Routley emailed me, and I got the email this morning, that uh, just the day before she left to go to Phoenix, she had read and prayed on that verse, 1 John 1, 9, with her mom. So this becomes a ministry of comfort. It's death to the Christian, while it's real and there's real pain and there's real tears, yet we do not sorrow as others who have no hope. And there's a resurrection day coming, and praise God, we shall be raised up to be with Christ forever. Now, I want to finish something before we close here tonight, and that is that this resurrection of Lazarus became a real problem uh, for the Pharisees and the Jews. Now, I want to run down this quickly. You'll notice in verse 48, it created a political problem, a political problem. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. It was from that day the red flag went up, and I call this a red flag miracle. We got to get rid of Christ. And they really got serious about how to end the Savior's life. And it is from here, uh, this is the last chapter, as it were, of Christ's earthly ministry, right here in chapter 12. When you get to chapter 13, you're into the last night when Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus. These are the closing events of Christ's ministry. And so you'll see that there was a political problem in uh, verse 50, there was a prophetical problem. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this Caiaphas, the shrewd, sleazy character that he was, he came up with this idea, well, one should die for the nation. And they were going to make the Lord Jesus some kind of a scapegoat in their political, cruel, and even prophetical way. What a wicked twist uh, to their dealings with the one who was proving himself to be the Son of God in the midst. But then they also had a planning problem. How are we going to get rid of him? Who is going to hand him over to us? And then when you go to chapter 13, verse 2, you have Judas. Judas falls right into the plans. And while the Pharisees we're meeting in secret council, wondering how are we going to bring this man and rein him in and so on. Well, Judas, Satan puts the treacherous betrayal within his heart, and he, for that 30 pieces of silver, sells the Lord Jesus into the hands of his enemies. If you want to lose your soul, the devil will help you. If you want to betray the Lord Jesus, the devil will work it out for you. 
But if you want to come to Christ and be saved, there's a wide invitation for you. There is a way, and indeed there is a, a, a decision for you to make. Are you going to believe on him as many of the, of the people of Israel and even Jews and even Pharisees did after the re resurrection of Lazarus? Or are you going to take this now as the opportunity because many wanted to destroy him and be done with him? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he said it, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I hope this is true for you tonight, and you have personally trusted the Lord Jesus as your own Savior. And you have this resurrection hope. And to you, it's not just a doctrine, it's not just a theory, it's not just some future thing that Christians talk about, but it is really your hope and your confidence for eternity and your answer to the danger of death, the stalking of death in your own life. Praise God for the gospel tonight and for such events as these that reinforce our own faith and reinvigorate our faith and give us a great message, both for the world and for the Christian. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040.
For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30pm. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30am from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel and that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word. Music